0: Thank you for tuning in to Jason DeMars Live. Every Tuesday and Friday at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time, I teach on various biblical topics. Get in contact with me at jasondemars.com. Let me know what topics you would like me to cover in future videos. I have free books and tracks available for you to order and shipping is free as well. Make sure to subscribe and click the little bell to get notified when I post a new video. Good morning, everyone. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to be uh, looking a little bit into something I've been covering as I preach at Bethel Tabernacle of late um, regarding feminism and the feminization of our culture, as well as the feminization of the church. And so I, I'm not so much going to preach as I did in those sermons, but um, I think you get the first two of them uh on my youtube channel i I will uh, get the third one uploaded, otherwise you can go to Bethel Tabernacle's youtube channel um as well and and get those so with that said, um I'm just gonna grab the scripture that I based this uh thought that I brought this thought from. Uh, Isaiah 4, 1 and 2, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. So what I see in this prophetic verse, I see the day that we're living in. I see on one side we have uh, women taking hold of a man saying we'll work for our own food and we'll work for our clothes, just let us be married so we can have our reproach taken away. And then on the on the flip side we have, in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. So that bran- branch of the Lord we have the Bride of Jesus Christ will be beautiful and glorious. And we have then on the other side of that uh, the feminist spirit of the 20th and 21st centuries. So, with that said, I want to look just at some of the details regarding this, um, sort of this development and how things went down. Number one, uh, modern modern day feminism acts as though they are a response to uh, biblical teaching, biblical truth. However, uh, it is not that. Um, you know, if you if you study scripture closely, which we have, and you can refer back to that video. I'll link to it as well. Um, Jesus put the woman in a, in a place that no one else has. There's a balance to all of this. Um, women are not to be treated like they're dormants and they're unequal. At the, same t- at the same time, God made them male and female and gave each distinct roles. We are we're made to complement each other. Men have strengths that women don't have. Women have strengths that men don't have. God made male and female as a complement to each other. So and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, towards the towards the middle here. Um, so cultures change. How society uh, operates changes. But the Word of God does not change. So if we look in history, um, there was largely agrarian societies divided into landowners and lower classes, peasants, up until the Industrial Revolution in the 1700s and 1800s. Husband and wives' roles were clear, obvious, and undisputed. Then second came the birth of industry. And the middle class roles start to get unclear and begin to get muddier. Three, the age of mass production further blurs the lines between man and woman. And then we have the digital revolution which brings forth complete and total confusion. The complete and total confusion is to the point that a boy says... He is a girl, and a girl says he is a boy. And people say, oh, they can change what their what their sexual orientation is, or their gender is, gender pronoun is, any day they want. Or they can have no gender pronoun. That's the, the level of confusion that's been brought on by Satan's Eden. Again, started out as agrarian societies, farming societies moved into industry, birth of the industrial revolution, the birth of industry and the middle class, then the age of mass production, then the digital revolution. Step by step, roles became confused. So there's three waves that they speak about of feminism. First wave was the promotion of equal contract and property rights for women and the opposition to chattel marriage and ownership of married women and their children by their husbands. However, by the end of the 19th century, activism focused primarily on ga- gaining political power, pol- particularly the right of women's suffra- suffrage. All right. So some of those things might be good, and some of those things might be bad. We can, we can talk about this, but we're just looking at history and telling the facts. So the second wave, also known as women's liberation, challenging the cultural and legal validity of the quote-unquote patriarchy and the social and sexual hierarchies used to control and limit the legal and physical independence of women in society. women's liberation, so being liberated from morality, being liberated from modesty, being liberated from uh, sexual purity, trying to turn the world upside down. That's where you see the first wave led to the second wave. The first wave, uh, the women's right to vote, those different things, taken out of balance, led to this second wave of feminism. The third wave now is freedom of sexual and bodily expression, fighting sexual harassment and continued expression of women's rights by dismantling any gender roles whatsoever. So that's the three waves of feminism, and that's, we're in the middle of that third wave right now. So it's really incredible to me when you consider that um, part and parcel with this rejection when the third wave of feminism, or second wave of feminism, women's liberation was taking place, the other part that the women were working on was taking the Bible, taking the scriptures and prayer out of school. I believe it was, I believe it was 1963, when uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the Bible could no longer be in the school. So, right around the time the seals were being loosed and revealed to the bride, the feminist woman was saying, "We don't need." Not only we don't need an open, revealed book, we don't need a book at all. We want to lay this aside. Remember, it was a woman that led this charge to put the Bible and prayer out of school. Okay, let's continue looking at this. God does not want a confusion between man and woman. He says it's an abomination. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, The woman shall not wear that which pertains unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. God does not want a man to be effeminate and wear women's clothes. God does not want a woman to be masculine and put on men's clothes. God considers that an abomination. God has made male and female distinct for distinct purposes. True womanhood is a beautiful reflection of the Bride of Jesus Christ, and true manhood is a beautiful reflection of Christ. Brother Branham says in the sermon, Satan's Eden. That's what Satan does. He perverts the nations, he perverts the church, he perverts the people. He's a deceiver, a perverter of the original truth. God made a man a man. He made a woman a woman and he dressed them different and he meant for them to stay that way and to act that way. One is feminist and the other is masculine. Men and women are equal, but they are not the same. Men and women are different at the very at the actual cellular level. Every cell is marked as either male or female. Men have, here's just some examples, men have denser bones, larger hands, greater muscle mass. Men tend to be more aggressive and as a result have a greater tendency to be attracted to conflict, competition and leadership. Women tend to be attracted to nurturing and relationship building. Men tend to compartmentalize. Women tend to connect everything together. Men are wired to lead. Women are wired to nurture, and I would say, influence. God made us different. God gave us different roles. He made the man to be a leader, He made the woman to submit in the Lord. Again, whenever Peter or Paul speaks about submission, they always say, in the Lord. You're not to submit to a husband that's telling you to do something ungodly against Scripture. You don't obey a husband that's telling you to go against the Bible. Okay? But if your husband is striving and, and doing everything he can to lead his family, he's self-sacrificing, he's giving of himself. He is He is leading you according to Scripture then you need to submit to him. Now, let me clarify that. This also refers to many other different aspects of life. You, as a, as a wife, if you're married to an unbelieving man, it doesn't give you the right to reject his headship, his authority. You still need to respect and honor him. But if he's telling you to not go to church... Then you should do everything you can to go to church. If he's telling you not uh, to, uh, to to cut your hair, or to wear pants, or to wear a bikini, or something, uh, you don't have to obey that, okay? But what I'm saying is, if your husband if your husband wants to do a certain certain thing with the house, of course you give your opinion. But if he says this is the way we have to do it, then. There should be a respect and reverence and submission, and it's through your, uh, through your submission and chaste behavior, that you will win your husband. Okay. So again, w- each of us, we don't as as a woman, you don't submit to your husband if he's worthy of it. Um, husband, you don't lead your wife if she's worthy of it you fulfill your role 100%. You don't give 50% and 50%. Oh, 60 and 60. You see she's given more. No, each of us has to have the attitude, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. I'm giving glory unto His name. And let me back up again too, when I say unto the Lord, when when Paul says submission, Peter says submission as unto the Lord, it's also just like uh, when he says Servants to the masters, say, uh, give obedience not with eye service, and work heartily as unto the Lord. So, in our job, uh, in our role as a husband, we do it as unto the Lord. In our role as a wife, we do it as unto the Lord, whether they're worthy of it or not. All right, so back to the feminization of our culture. So as we've gotten through the second wave into the third wave we see now that in media the portrait of men as self-centered dopes led by wise, powerful and bossy women is what's being put forward in front of everyone's eyes. Then there's the deadening of manliness from video game addiction that's almost totally pervasive pervasive across uh, society. Get rid of those video games. They're bringing nothing but destruction and, and weakening of manliness and testosterone and so forth. You, 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 you need to grow up and learn to be a real man. Being addicted to video games is not going to lead you to manliness. Women work and lead the family, and the man works too, but remains disconnected and unaware of what's going on with his family. And the the next part that's happening now is the identification of all masculinity as toxic. All masculinity is turned into some toxic Thing that needs to be disposed of. Men respond to this process by either checking out and saying, if that's the case, forget it, I'm just going to do, do what I do, watch my games, play my video games, drink my beer, and let my wife run the show because I'm not wanted or needed. Or they become more like women they become effeminate and when they become effeminate then they can become the bossy effeminate boy next the church has become feminized the church has feminized spirituality and worship it's emotion based it's touchy feely focused it's also self-help centered you almost can't get away from that. Jesus came to give me unconditional, emotive love regardless of my sinfulness. We often only hear that we have, oh, you have psychological trauma. Jesus came to heal our mental and emotional issues connected to it. That's, that's kind of the general viewpoint that you hear through song, through preaching. No, that's not why Jesus came. That is an effect of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be a sacrifice for sin. There, was, there is an infinitely holy God who, because he is holy, because he is good, he hates sin. And he must punish sin. We, as sinners, have committed cosmic treason against an infinitely holy God. So, God came in the form of his Son to take the punishment on the cross. He was tortured, he was bruised, he was beaten, he was crucified so that that infinitely holy God could receive an atonement and our sins could be forgiven he died to bring eternal redemption he died to restore restore the restore the earth to a perfect condition and restore God's elect to that perfect condition that they were created to be in. As a result of that, we have fellowship with him. In today's church, this is from David Murrell writing, In today's church, the gospel is no longer about saving the world against impossible odds. It's about finding a happy relationship with a wonderful man. You hear that over and over again. Personal relationship, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll find Brother Branham say that a few times, but you know what he mostly says? Fellowship. Jesus died on the cross to restore our fellowship with God. We were enemies with God because of sin. God hates sin. So Christ came to offer an atonement to God, so that our sins could be forgiven and as a result we have fellowship but it's not about only having some happy relationship with a wonderful man it's so much more than that it's become it, the the church has become a bunch of self-help gur- gurus how we can improve our lives right now not how we can save a dying and lost world, but how we can make this world into our own kingdom. And it's 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 terrible and it's sad, and it's been it's been brought to a level of destruction where the gospel is barely even known. What do we have? We have we have a a gospel that appeals to women. You know, there's a balance to it. There's God made Adam and Eve in the beginning, He made Adam in the beginning, male and female, right? So that's the image and likeness of God. So there's one aspect that's female, there's one aspect that is male, expressing God. God is always known as male personally, but there's that aspect of God that is male, and there's that aspect that is female, the bride of Christ, the elected. They're a a part of him. So that's to express him, the male, Adam, the female, the bride of Christ. And so God made them that way. There's a balance to that. There is... God does come to connect to the female heart, but he comes to connect to the male heart also. If you only go on the side of the the female side the the emotional relational connection side you miss this big part huge part where we have a great eternal infinite glorious holy god that cannot even look upon sin again we we take this and we throw the gospel in the toilet is what happens when This approach is taken, and it's a shameful thing. We need to get back to the real, true gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole plan of redemption, not just this little portion. Jesus came to fix your trauma and to put you in a good relationship with a wonderful man. It's so much more than that there is a cosmic war going on a cosmic battle satan wants to take control satan brought the fall through adam and eve god is bringing a restoration to that the purpose was fellowship the purpose was not necessarily personal relationship in that way he wanted to have fellowship and he wanted to take leadership over us so that we would be personally led that results in a personal in a relationship But it's getting the cart before the horse. In order for there to be personal relationship, there has to be redemption take place. There has to be blood. There has to be transformation. It cannot be this wishy-washy gospel. And I'll say that a lot of the false thinking and understanding that has come uh, in, in what the gospel is is that we've gone so far to the side of free will and missing out the sovereign grace of God. We look at it and say, oh, person, anybody can be saved. You can get saved, then you can get lost. Then you can get saved again. And it's just a wishy-washy gospel. We need a gospel with its gloves on. It takes that it takes its gloves off and is ready to do battle with an enemy that wants to bring your destruction. We have to take the sword of the Spirit and fight. We can't merely just talk about emotional and psychological issues. The Gospel is not psychology. The Gospel is not about fixing your emotions. Yes, the gospel does all those things, but that's, that's only the result of the gospel, the transforming power. That's not what it's all about. On one hand, we have the gospel, which it makes it all about you, your emotions, your needs, and then we have the gospel, which is the true gospel, which makes it all about the glory of God. I'm going to just close there. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to Jason DeMar's live podcast. New episodes are posted every Tuesday and Friday. We thank you all for listening in. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube to watch the video portion of this. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you.